0: Welcome to The Maker and the Merchant, with Fergus Elias and Lee Isaacs. And welcome to yet another podcast episode thing of The Maker and the Merchant, the podcast that just refuses to die. Um, Sadly, uh, one of our hosts has decided that he's had enough. Uh, Lee is not with us today. Um, He's back next week. Uh well, next fortnight, um but he's currently off uh, sorting out visa issues, uh, who knew that they were going to revoke his citizenship. Um, it's something about crimes against fashion. But I am ably, and actually significantly, well, I mean, the whole stature of this podcast is going to be increased massively by uh, my guest co-host uh, for today, the one, the only, the English wine brain, John Mox. Hello, sir.
1: Hello, Fergus. Thank you for the invitation. And um, yeah, just wanted to say, kind of, just to clear up the sta- uh, status of Lee. Uh, this isn't like one of those um, US TV shows where a cast member is miraculously replaced mid-season by somebody incredibly less talented. Um, this is just a uh, one-off for me, but I might be making an appearance again in the future. But um, yeah, it's a shame Lee's not here. But looking forward to having a bit, having a bit of a chat and a catch-up, Fergus.
0: Yeah, mate, it's going to be great. I, I mean, we, we, I think Lee, they'll they'll probably let him out of Guantanamo fairly soon. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully that that'll be okay. Um, but thanks well, for you coming know, on. that though? That's the question. I'm hoping not. Uh, it would do us all a favour. Um, <laughs> John, what I thought would be a nice would be a nice way to do this uh, would be for you to give us a little sort of crazy about you and about who you are and 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 how how you came into wine and you know because wine obviously isn't your your day job as it were but but I can't think of anyone with a more encyclopedic knowledge of English wine than you um, which is why we're incredibly happy to have you on the pod um, but maybe yeah maybe you could give us a sort of back a potted history of of, of John Mobs and English wine.
1: All right where do I start? Well um, yeah I mean I've, I've had an interest in wine for quite a long time um, really which built out of a knowledge um, and thirst for food um, uh, sort of learning about foods of the world um, and I, I was really into my food and heard probably like 10 years ago a lot about the the role of wine and food pairing and kind of decided to kind of get to know wine better. Um, before that I was not really a, a drinker really at all. Um, I had had the occasional glass of wine, but wasn't really interested. And it was really that kind of connection with food that got me interested. Uh, prior to that, I always enjoyed a glass of champagne on Christmas Day with my with my family, with my parents, and um, sort of associated wine with sparkling wine and with with uh, with champagne. Really. Um, so in the early days, I was I was drinking bubbles and, and white wines. Those were my my primary wines that I enjoyed. Um, firstly, for celebrations, but also. They they pair very well with a lot of the food flavors that I play with, sort of Asian foods, Chinese, uh, Japanese. Uh, so, sort of working out how what wines pair with those kind of foods. Um, along the way, um, I was I was in the Midlands. I was in Leicester originally, which is where I was born and raised. And um, I went to local Majestic store, got to know the the store manager there, and he knew the sort of wines that I was buying, and, and recommended an English sparkling wine. Um, this was probably. Ten years ago, uh, not, yeah, ten or eleven years ago, and I was like, "English sparkling wine? We make we make sparkling wine in England," which at the time was quite a common question. I think it still is quite a common question in the general public. Um, I mean,
0: the progress is slow on 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 getting that news out, industry mainstream, just everyone else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so I tried this bottle of of um I think it was the two thousand and three vintage uh, classic cuvee. Um, nice. And um, it was a, it was mind blowing. Um, it was better than any champagne that I tried in that price point. I mean, I wasn't drinking amazing champagnes to be honest. But uh, back back then, I think it was retailing about twenty five pounds a bottle. Um, it's a bit higher now, uh, but there's still English sparkling wines at that price point, um, which we'll probably touch upon a bit later on. But um, uh, it was a revolutionary. Um, and from that moment forward, I, I started drinking English sparkling wine. But there wasn't much access to English sparkling wine, especially up in Leicester. Um, So it wasn't really until I moved down south to Surrey uh, that I had a bit more access to to English wines and um, tried Chapel Down Bacchus. I know we've talked about Chapel Down and Bacchus a a fair bit in the past, but that was really my first taste of uh, the English distilled wine. and again it was a bit of a eureka moment it was kind of uh, often compared to Sauvignon Blanc but it brought these kind of fragrant floral notes that that really resonated well and again lent themselves really well to the 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 food pairing so so that's where I got started Um, and I started reviewing the wines on an app that's still popular today called Vivino um, which encourages everyday drinkers to take a photo of a bottle uh, and write a review of the wine. Um, at first, I just started giving them star ratings. Then I started writing a bit about the wines. And I was one of the first people in the UK to be writing, or, or globally, effectively, to be writing about English wines on, on that app. Um, and that's when I got started kind of getting a bit of confidence in writing about wine. I don't have, still don't have any classical training or background and hmm. uh, in writing or in in wine tasting or wine education, I just had a a want to learn about it and to to communicate about it um, so that 's pre all pre great British wine around about two thousand and fourteen I think when I was doing that um, and a friend of mine who uh, robbie priddle he's he 's still very active on the wine scene he runs um, a business called Blind Faith, which is all about uh blind tasting um through little pouches of wine. In fact we did a tasting with one of your wines uh, a couple of years ago um uh which was Shit. the suitcase pinot noir actually but again I, I got uh-huh. gone off on a tangent there. We'll we'll get back onto that <laughs> that's, later. That's Tom. fine. <laughs> um but Robbie um Robbie I knew through Vivino and he um was invited um through another mutual contact to um what was the English wine producer's press and trade tasting in twenty fifteen. Um, and he didn't know much about English wine, but knew that I enjoyed it. And I'd had quite a few. Uh, quite a few was about six, probably at the time. Um, and asked me to go along for an opinion uh, to help highlight what English wines were really interesting. So he was going to write a piece for an online publication about it. and He wanted to collaborate with me on it. Uh, so I went along. Uh, my first ever uh, trade tasting um I hadn't learned the concept of taste and spit, so I tried a lot of wines. Um, <laughs> so even back then, there was a lot of producers, including um, what was Hush Heath at the time, um, yep. <laughs> um, and a lot of the familiar faces, Chapel Down, Nigh Timber, and a whole host of other producers I'd never heard of. Um, and I tried a lot of wine, um, for a lot of it I forgot about, because I tried too many, um, but I was super inspired about the collective efforts of the industry, really. Um, And the next day, with a little bit of a a heavy head, I kind of sat down and thought, I want to do something a bit more about this English wine thing. And I've got a bit of a background in in web design and doing online work um, for for many years and and kind of set about building Great British Wine version one. Um, With a view to kind of having a a bit like a blog, but more like a structured resource um, so that we could have like a directory with producers, regions, wine styles, articles, individual wines, all of this kind of, as you say, almost like an encyclopedia of English wine. That was kind of part of the idea from day one. Um, Mm. And that's how it started um, in 2015, May 2015, I think around about middle of uh, May 2015. uh, All conceived from that, that tasting
0: yeah and so so that sort of that tasting um back then started this off so where where are you where are you now what's what's the what's the what is great british wine as we as we live and breathe in in today's world
1: it's been a real evolution so um a, a lot of my early days were going and visiting producers doing articles on producers and and individual pieces in that regard and Along the way, life and work uh, and finding the balancing act has been quite a challenge I'd say. Um, So I've kind of looked at over the last couple of years of making Great British Wine more about collective pieces on the latest wines and the latest styles of wines, uh, new vintages, new producers and kind of roundup pieces where each month I look at um, either a style of English wine or just a collective um, batch of new releases that I found interesting. Um, also doing retrospective pieces. So looking at vertical tastings of English wine still and sparkling um and and offering kind of a perspective on the industry how it's evolved over the time that i've been in it really looking at how the wines have matured how the producers have matured and how overall the industry has matured so kind of that's the direction i've been going in Uh, and really what i want
0: to continue over the course of this year really Mm. no fantastic i mean that's the sort of thing that 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 gives you have such a unique position in this regard because you're not you're not an insider you've got no dog in the fight so to speak and so you've got this sort of bird's eye view on on English wine as a whole. It's it's very it's very easy for someone like me who who lives, breathes, and and works. This is all I do is is Balfour Winery and Balfour Wines, and and it's very easy for me to get quite blinkered and in, in in what I'm seeing about English wine and applying, you know, what's happening in the immediate area of, of our vineyards in Kent and going, well, this is what the industry is doing, when in, when in reality it's a much broader picture. So it must be really useful for you to have that perspective. Um, and, Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it gives you an incredible balance when, it, when you talk. Um, yeah, which... I, I think that's the thing. And
1: I think the challenge I've got now is that the industry has grown so much. We've got so many producers across such a large part of the country that it's an incredible challenge to, to cover everything. Um it's impossible to manage to cover everything. So really what I do is kind of go out and seek out the things that interest me, the styles that interest me or the new emerging styles and the the greater confidence, for example, on on still English wine that that we'll talk a bit more about probably a bit later on. But um, a lot of focus initially was on the sparkling, but I think it's such a broad category now that we've got these emerging styles that it really gives you a lot to look into. There's lots of different areas. It's such a multifaceted industry that has gone in many different directions that I didn't expect it to uh, in those early uh, years of great British wine. Um, But as you say, it's great to have that kind of really broad horizon to look at all the regions, all of the styles, and still try and approach it from a consumer perspective. I mean, I'm not trying to be a wine critic. That's kind of something I Mm. set out very early on, because there's a lot of better qualified uh, people out there that can do that but I, I try to stay grounded in a kind of commercially consumer-minded approach sort of what are the wines that people will find appealing what do they want to learn about them sort of the, the story of the people who made them or what makes those wines unique um, so exploring those avenues is, is really kind of fundamental to what I do at Great British Wine.
0: Amazing no I think and I think it's as a resource from a, from an English wine perspective we're incredibly lucky to have you I don't I don't know I don't think anyone writes in that way and looks at it and looks at the industry in that way um at the moment which makes you perfectly suited for what i'm going to call the state of the nation um address which i'm going to ask you to give so you know english wine we're start of a new year start of a new vintage um 2023 is now gone and we can we can move on Um, where is english wine
1: um, it's a really good question. Um, it's, it's a very interesting time for English wine. I think based on the information for the YGB, uh, released end of last year on, uh, sort of the volume produced last year, uh, there's a lot of English wine that's potentially coming to market over the next few years. And I think we touched upon it at the beginning of the, the, the chat is that there's still a lot of consumers that aren't aware or aren't aware of the quality of English wine. So there's a, I think there's a big, disconnect potentially between the amount of wines that are being produced and the awareness and potential there's a there's a great potential market for it but actually how do we get the wine into people's glasses how do we get people interested and aware of this but i think the volumes of of english wine that are potentially going to be coming out over the next couple of years also create an opportunity to get english wine into new glasses um through still wines potentially um especially some of these lesser known varieties. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about it in a minute, actually. Uh, uh, White wine blends, Uh, something that I wrote off quite early on in Great British Wine. I thought varietal wines are what I'm really interested in. But I've really rediscovered blended white wines in England can make really interesting, uh, relevant styles of wines. Um, And those kind of wines potentially can be a more entry accessible price point uh, to the consumer. Um, Definitely. and hopefully there's going to be quite a lot of those uh entry-level wines potentially coming to the market that will give those opportunities for people that hadn't afforded or had access to english wine the double-edged sword is that that brings a, a more of a competitive price point for english wine as a whole and does it cheapen the 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 uh, sort of aspirations of producers that are punching up with with more prestigious bottles and more significant premium price points so um I really think there's actual there's a, a position for each of those styles of wines and those price points within the English wine market. And We've never really had the situation where we've we've been able to to have volume to to have wines at the, those kind of significantly lower price points. But it will really open up some some doors, I think, to to English wine, getting those English wines into the supermarkets um, and getting new people to try them and and hopefully fall in love and, and get excited by them and then potentially trade up in the future to to the more premium offerings
0: definitely no I think that's I think that's um certainly the big the big opportunity coming out of this harvest I mean yeah yields were up everywhere as far as I'm aware and, and everyone's got a bit of bit of stock to play with um yeah and, 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 a, and a lot of glass to pay for somehow
1: so. <laughs> yeah no it's, it's it's a really interesting time i think um a kind of a possible crossroads moment for the industry uh, where we'll see things go in different directions i think we'll start to see more more charmat wines i mean there's been people putting putting more of those out and with the volume situation we've got i think that's inevitable that we're going to see more of that and I think really making sure that people are aware of the differences and having a a clear identity between the different styles of sparkling wines is going to be very important. And I know Wine Mm -hmm. TV have been working on that, but I think there's some general disconnect between what the industry thinks are the differences and what the consumer understands to be the differences. And that's where we've really got to put some effort on educating about the different levels of of wines out there, still and sparkling and and production techniques and and why they're at different price points Um, to kind of prepare for for those those wines that are going to come out significantly cheaper to those that are already in the market,
0: absolutely, yeah. Um, one one theory that's come up is um, because obviously this is this is discussed uh, uh, a lot is is you know wh- what do we do about Charmat or do we do anything? Is there something we need to do? I mean, I, I uh, I've always taken a slightly more live and let live approach to it, and my my theory has always been that it'll be brands and building brands that that will that will protect your you from those sorts of price fluctuations and from from being seen as as competing with um producers is that is that your read or do you think do you think that's that's a fair a fair view on it
1: i think i yeah I actually have always I'm, I'm fairly open-minded myself, um, and I think it's beneficial if it's clearly identified and signposted as a different style of sparkling wine and at a price point that's significantly different, which I think is where Charmat produces a volume where it wants to take it. I think it's it's going to bridge the gap in terms of introducing English wine to to new tasters ultimately and i I would rather see an affordable accessible charmat wine that's that's enjoyable and drinkable than an English sparkling wine. That's been produced uh, with minimal lees aging and, and minimal quality at, to enter that that lower price point. I think Charmat can can produce a rounded, enjoyable style of wine at an accessible price point better than English sparkling can. Um, so, creating a clear differentiation between those two at different price points, potentially for different tasters and different uh, occasions, it is something that will benefit the industry. Um, so. I think the real challenge is actually creating an identity for the two and and distinguishing the two, so that, hmm. that the consumer understands because generally they don't understand. <laughs> no, no,
0: no, they uh, they don't. And so yeah, so an an education piece, yeah, is is needed an, in in some way.
1: I think an education piece, uh, but I I do think there's there's a a a, a need for those styles of wines, um, and totally. um, they will they will sort of satisfy that, that, that price point and that accessibility factor that that we've struggled with as an industry on sparkling wine so far.
0: Definitely.
1: Do we need a name?
0: For what? For English, English sparkling, for English sparkling wine? <laughs>
1: um, I, I think we've kind of got past that stage potentially. Um, yep. I've not heard a name that's better than English sparkling wine. Not that English sparkling wine is a particularly good name and it's always a bit of a mouthful. Nope. It's, it's very English. It says it does what it says on the tin, effectively. So um,
0: yeah, I, I've not heard a better suggestion. <laughs> no, I, I I'm I'm pleased to hear it. I'm I'm just going through the holy cows of English wine at the moment and just making sure I've cleared 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 all things so that it's all nice and so when someone needs a reference on should we really have another debate on what's called English sparkling wine, they'll no. John Bob says no.
1: I'm surprised we've not had one of those debates for a while. Uh, there was a time when every year there would be an annual debate, or somebody's organised a discussion on what should we yep. call English sparkling wine, uh, and it has disappeared for quite a while, despite all of the talks about charmat and everything
0: else going on. But
1: uh, yeah,
0: yeah, it's almost as if people have just focused on you know making wine, making good wine, <laughs> yes, just keep just keep the quality up. Uh, Pints, yes or no? Um. In, I'm indifferent. to I do, to be yeah. honest. Um, I'm, 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 I'm totally with you. It's shades of grey, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's it's great to have another format out there. Whether it's a, an sure. imperial pint or a, another type of pint, who knows? But um, I think the fact that it can be done is great. Uh, but I don't think there's enough want for it to really take off so I don't think it's a significant moment for the industry ultimately. Uh, but I think consumer choice, increased consumer choice is always a good thing.
0: Thoughts on Saval?
1: Saval. Um good question. I'm gonna pour a glass of a wine a Saval White um blend.
0: Um oh, Saval oh, This was this was unintended. I hadn't I hadn't expected that. Yeah, um, so yeah, I've just
1: poured a glass. I'm showing it on camera, but people, the, the, the I listeners, I do see this yet. all the time. Um, it is uh, Dalwood Vineyards um, Madeleine, Solari, Madeleine Angevin uh, Solaris table Blanc blend. I'm a big fan of this nice. wine. Um, it does some really yeah. interesting things with those grapes. But Saval Blanc is a grape I've, I wrote off fairly early on because I had quite a lot of very average sparkling wines. And some even more average still wines made from Sauvignon Blanc, um, maybe eight mm. or nine years ago. Um, it's coming back in ways that I think people are doing great things on the blending side in white wines with it. But um, Breaky Bottom, Peter Hall, absolute legend, has done some amazing things with Sauvignon Blanc over the years. Um, that yeah, really have made sort of top quality aged um, traditional yep. method Sauvignon Blanc sparkling wines. But also there's people doing interesting things in the young style with Sauvignon Blanc now. I think it's kind of being used quite well as a blending component in, in sparkling wines. Um, Aldbury Vineyard, local to me, do do an interesting blend with Chardonnay for their Blanc de Blanc. Very different to nice. every other Blanc de Blanc. Um, but blended in a sparkling wine, it, it can make quite an interesting kind of driving high acidity, but then with some floral elements and blend with Chardonnay and bringing the roundness of the fruit. It, it, it feels like quite a versatile grape, more versatile than I expected it to be in the first place. So uh, I think there's a place for it. Um, and yeah. I, I think blending is that is that place. Um, it brings a lot to this particular white blend that I'm drinking. It brings a real freshness and acidity that counters and balances to the more ripe Solaris and floral notes of the Madeleine Angevin. Um So I think it works really well. Um, I, I have hmm. pro- haven't had that many single variety uh, still or sparkling wines outside of the ones that I mentioned uh, that, that really captivated me. But I think as a reliable blending component, it works really well.
0: That's, I think that's um, fair. I mean, my views are slightly more nuanced than my father's, who I think is quoted pretty much everywhere as saying that, say, tastes like potatoes and is barely a grape. Um, yeah.
1: That might have uh, informed my original perspective on Saval in my early days, when I was a bit more influenced by uh, what I read. But I know, I know <laughs> your dad's not a big fan.
0: No, no, he's not. I, I, and well, I mean, I grew up in the same house as him, so obviously, the, I have the same prejudices about the variety. But I can I have seen Dalwood is is a prime example. Actually, it's a, that's a great wine to pull out when when someone says Saval poo poo, um, because it, it it does work. It, it is, it is a genuinely good wine that's well made um, and I can't really fault it um, thankfully I don't we're very much say about so I'm quite relieved uh, <laughs> I, think
1: it, I think it's one of those things that producers that have got it and have learned what to do with it uh, have really mm. em- embraced the that what it brings, to, particularly to a blend, I think it's just it's just something, there's a character that it's got, like a kind of sherbet lemon, um, but then when it gets a bit riper and a bit more mature in sparkling wines, you get this lemon curd kind of quality that comes through on Peter Hall's wines and on one or two sparkling wines I've had that have had a bit more lease ageing. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I, I do find it an interesting grape. Um, but as I say, I think it, work, it works
0: best in blends, generally. I think that's a fair, a fair reflection. Um, so you're tasting, you're tasting Delwood now um, what would you say what's, what have you been tasting lately and it's okay, you don't need to talk about how great all the Balfour wines are I'm, I, in fact, I'm going to ban you because I can see that there's a huge collection of Balfour wines behind John's head um, yeah. it's, it's actually exhausting just looking at my back catalogue um, there's but, about
1: 672 wines in the range anyway Fergus, so yeah, it's a very big
0: shelf of I those. don't I don't need reminder of how many SKUs I do. <laughs> <laughs> All individual and it's a it's not remotely terrifying. Um but no, so let's do um what are you drinking now? What's drinking well? Let's do let let's go casquerie by caskerie. Okay. So st- still white, still rose, still red. And then sparklings. Okay. And then we'll do prestige sparkling as well, because that's that's always fun, though. You've got those you've got those really high-end wines there with the very high-end price points It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts but let's start with still whites still whites i think for me the two most
1: exciting categories are chardonnay and bacchus um two quite <laughs> contrasting categories chardonnay Fair. has come leaps and bounds um another one of my kind of wine english wine eureka moments was kitsch chardonnay the, the the first proper vintage of that in 2013 and how that's evolved um yeah. Danbury Ridge over in Essex are doing amazing things with Chardonnay. Their 2018 octagon block and the subsequent vintage in 2020. Outstanding sort of international quality wines. Um, Balfour have made some, some really good inroads in Chardonnay, yeah. but we won't mention yeah. too much about Balfour. I'll bring them probably up more on the red, actually.
0: Um, That's fine. My yeah, yeah. ego is more than big enough, <laughs>
1: Generally, Chardonnay is, is is really exciting. It's my it's my favourite grape variety anyway. So that we do now that we're doing amazing Blanc de Blanc in sparkling, but they're also still Chardonnays of a variety of styles, from the richer, more exuberant uh, wines being made over in Essex to the fresher, crisper, almost Chablisque esque uh, style that that's being made in Kent at the moment. Um, I think that's really exciting. Uh, really glad to see the progress Chardonnay has, Chardonnay has made in England. Um, Bacchus. Has been there for, for the from the very beginning for me, and it was very samey in the early days. A lot of elderflower and lime, uh, sort of Sauvignon Blanc uh, styled wines, a little bit one dimensional. Um, mm-hmm. But as producers have learned what to do with Bacchus, it's got more and more diverse. That we've got oak styles, we've got amphora age styles, we've got. Uh, orange styles. It's such a diverse uh, category of wines, Bacchus now, uh, that it's super exciting. And it's something that I'm planning to revisit and explore over the course of the coming months. And I'm going to resurrect an idea I had in the early days of Great British Wine, which is sort of varietal spotlights. Um, And I'm going to have a deep dive into Bacchus as a whole, looking at what is What's typical for English Bacchus, what are the best examples but what are those other styles what are people doing differently with yeasts or with production techniques or uh, ice wine style for example over in, in Hattingley Valley there are in Tide so I'm really excited to get back stuck into Bacchus I think there's a lot of naysayers still for Bacchus but try the very best examples and there's some really really exciting wines uh, coming from, from Bacchus in England
0: Absolutely. I mean, one of probably one of the most widely sold wines in, in England is is yeah. that Chapel Down Bacchus. You know, that probably, I don't, other than their Flint Dry, I don't know of another wine that will be selling more, more Absolutely. bottles than that.
1: I, I, I'm sure I heard that they were producing over 200,000 bottles annually of that Chapel Down entry-level Bacchus, which is amazing.
0: Yep, I hear it's quite a lot too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I've higher since then. Um, but uh, and it, and that that the quality of that wine I mean, that was more than my, that was one of my first touch points for English wine, and and that wine's got better and better, and it's a great starting point for people that want to get into English wine. Um, but then there's so much out there to kind of trade up and, and go and explore to see what what else you can do with the grape. So yeah, really excited about about Chardonnay and Bacchus in particular, but you can't ru- rule out things like. Pinot Gris, uh, I've got a, a Pinot Gris that you mentioned uh, earlier that I'll talk a bit more about. Um, but there's Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, um, and then Solaris, Madeleine, Angevin. There's so many different grape varieties that people are doing really interesting things with um, that I, I just love the, the variety that's out there. Yeah,
0: I, I think that's actually a very valid point. You know, the, the sort of Germanic varieties beyond... Baccus, the Germanic varieties had sort of taken a bit of a back seat in recent years, but they appear to be on a bit of a resurgence. You know, yeah. you're seeing Solaris. I mean, I'm I'm making Ortega again, which is great. I love Ortega as a variety. I think it's brilliant. Um, Absolutely. But you've got you know Ortega. You've got Solaris. You've got Mad- Madang coming up again, and and Savelle's lurking still. God knows why. Um, <laughs> It's sorry, great as a blending component. Yeah, sorry. I keep. I need to remind myself that it's good as a blending component, um, and that sort of aromatic style of grape. You know, not just the Germans, but Pinot Blanc, um, Pinot Gris, Pinot Gris. You know, Arty yeah. built built a fabulous reputation around around not only their sparkling wines, but actually their their Pinot Gris, which is one of the my favourite English stills at the moment. Um, and I think that's. I think that's quite. It's quite interesting, and I don't—I didn't really see it coming. I just, you know, everyone was planting Chardonnay, everyone was planting Bacchus, and the and the sort of Champagne triumph for us, And then occasionally you'd hear, "Oh, we planted some Cab Franc," or um, didn't some oh, someone's planted Pinotage somewhere, haven't they? Yeah, I um, don't—I
1: don't know if it's still there, um, but I, yeah,
0: it sounds a yeah. bit crazy. I mean it doesn't work in South Africa so god knows why you plant it here <laughs> um, but you know it's it, it they're not heritage varieties because english wine is too young to have heritage varieties but it's quite interesting to see that diversity coming back when it looked like it was all going it was almost one way traffic towards the traditional method a bit of chardonnay a bit of pinot noir and a rosé of bits um it's been i think it's i think it's quite interesting and quite heartening yeah i think i think you know england and englishness we're idiosyncratic as a nation and i think if we were all polished and perfect and just doing just doing burgundy and champagne it'd be a bit dull
1: it would be yeah absolutely i think it's as i say it's great to see that level of variety that's out there and, and people rediscovering varieties that that have been here for a while um, mm. And that maybe we didn't have the expertise in the past to really extract what 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 the potential of those grapes and varieties. And now people are doing new things and applying new techniques and and new experience and knowledge to to, to those grapes, and um, especially some of those that have got sort of the the older vines, like some of the old vine Bacchus. I think Newhall have mm. got some of the oldest Bacchus vines in the country over in Essex, and they're focusing on getting the fruit from those vines to put into their 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 kind of signature flagship Bacchus. Um, yeah. And it brings a, a quite a tropical roundness to the to the to the wine, um, which is really interesting. Definitely. Um, so those older vines shouldn't be written off and, and ruled out. There's some really interesting things that can come from them. Of course, just to finalize on on white wine category, another sort of subcategory that really excites me are uh, blanc de Rois, so So uh, pinot noir, lumier oh, yeah. made in a white white still wine style. Um, so mm. it's something that they felt like was quite a lot of. Uh, work going on in that in that field for a while but it sort of disappeared a little bit um simpsons have got a fantastic pinot mernier uh, litmus wine do a really good uh, pinot noir in a white wine yep. style um i'd like to see more of those because i think those satisfy a slightly richer more indulgent style of white wine um that that create an intrigue and a level of interest that people aren't that familiar with and those that want to explore and and discover new styles. uh, I think it's great that we have those out there, but I'd like to see a bit more of that
0: really. Definitely. No, I think that's actually a a point I totally missed. Yeah. You know, those Blanc de Noirs were very popular for a while. Yeah. And they do seem to have dropped out of fashion. I know Deringstone's still going. That's a delicious wine, really well made, you know, those guys at Simpsons and Sparse Operators. But I can't think of many others that I've tried and really enjoyed lately. Not that, not, not that I drink anywhere near enough English wine, but yeah, that's um, a valid point. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Rosé.
1: Rosé, uh, yeah, I, I, I've said for a long time that rosé is kind of still rosé is England's hidden wet weapon. Um, it, it's it's providing. I've, I've never been a huge fan of Provence rosé. Um, I've always found it a little bit samey and nondescript. Um, mm. It's a bit like, as a category, I know there's great examples out there, but as a category, I find it a little bit an exciting, A bit like New Zealand Sauvignon, um, the, the Provence rosé category that is. English rosé tends to have a bit more. Uh, sort of acidity I mean it's not we're never shy of acidity in, in English wine no. but you get this wonderful um concentrated cranberry cherry um flavor in, uh, and raspberry flavor in, in English pinot you know, in particular when it's made as a rosé wine that that's really unlike a lot of rosés I've tried from around the world it's not uh, it's not insipid and watery and it's not sweet and uh, cloying it's just got this wonderful freshness and perfumed uh, red fruit character um, that I find in the uh, late spring and early summer, well, throughout summer, to be honest, uh, it's an absolutely beautiful drink. So I think our, our still rosés, particularly those made from Pinot Noir, Pinot Precost, and Pinot Mernier, are incredibly exciting. Um, and they've gone on. You, we've got a few cult, cult rosé wines now, like the Aldbury Silent Pool, the the Gusborne mm. um, Cherry Cherry Tree. Is it called? I can't remember the cherry. name. Y- cherry Hill. Y-
0: I know the one you mean. Yeah. Cherry.
1: In the diamond style bottle uh, these Mm. days. So making them appealing and and stylish as well, I think, has really helped the rosé category. Um, Definitely. Great wines, but also kind of really well-marketed products. Um, I think Mm. there's still an opportunity to really grow English still Um, rosé. But for me, it's really all about the Pinots, um, ultimately, in in the rosé wines. So that's what I think really, really works.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, we've we've recently the last two vintages transitioned our still rosé over to a more pinot monnier, where it's sixty percent pinot monnier in the last in the last iteration um, base. And I found I found that to be really thoroughly enjoyable. You get that fantastic. You, you get all that sort of nice red fruit that you were discussing. But then there's that this sort of palmer violet. Um, I can't quite can't quite define it, but it's it's, it's very distinctly Mernier there and there's a, that little yeah. bit of orange and uh, I I think it's fabulous. It works so well for rosé. Um, yeah, I, I think we're seeing more producers put Mernier into the
1: still rosé now, mm. um, in significant proportion um uh, in the blend, and it, it works really, really well. I think it it does no, bring definitely. that slight edge, a hint of savoury, that that kind of floral note that you mentioned, and just something a bit different. Uh, it it really works very well. Um, yeah, I'm actually I sitting agree. on on my second wine. Uh, second of only two. I haven't got like ten bottles signed up here. Um, it looks delicious. It, 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 yeah, it, it looks like a rosé. So um, a bit. It is. It's a Pinot Gris. Um, Skin contact Pinot Gris that was aging in four. Nice. Um It's part of Flint Vineyard. Um, their Venn Club. Um, they have like a, a, a membership club where they have. Uh, members get two cases a year, and they get some really unique experimental wines that uh, the winemaking team led by Ben uh, sort of makes some really interesting, nuanced, different wines every year. And um, they sent me over one of these to try, and it's absolutely delicious. It's it's kind of it, it feels very much like a rosé. It's sort of somewhere in between an orange wine and a rosé wine. It's got a real texture and grip to it. And I was trying to think what it reminded me of, um, and it reminded me a little bit of. The Vina Tondonia Rosé, uh, which I think I compared wow. one of your wines to previously, um, in that it's got I this mean, savory element and this kind of
0: real kind of textural grip to it that you mm. don't find very often in English wine. No. I mean, Vina Tond- to, to to hear Tondonia in the same sentence as any English wine is is an exciting, <laughs> it's very yeah. exciting. It's, um, it's, it's a wine
1: of that level of texture
0: and... and mm. uh, intrigue, I think. Um, I was, was really uh, Mar- Mary Rose was the the one. Mary you really Rose, did.
1: exactly, because you used Rioja yeasts for that. Rioja yeasts, um,
0: yeah, yep. And barrel, and yeah, just really nice Pinot Noir, um, which helps. Uh, but uh, then Club and Flint, I think that I I was lucky enough. When was it? It would have been oh, twenty two. We Beth and I went up and did Suffolk for a, for a long weekend, and we were, we popped in at Flint and met the and it was my first ever meeting with the great dan kirby Absolutely. Um, and it was amazing you know we t- we tasted through the range and the wines are so eclectic and and i love the way that they approach things you know the the Venn club is such a useful outlet for them because it means they've got a market for those wines that they want to make but they don't want to make they can't necessarily make in the volume that would be deemed commercial usually so i'm I'm so yeah i'm so chuffed that they're doing well still
1: it's super exciting and i think what we've started to see as as they've had feedback on the ven club wines uh the the bacchus fumé for example i think for was one of their best wines and and it's come out of the ven club members exclusive and become a mainstream release for them um Mm. last year and it sold i mean they they produced a lot more than they had previously but it sold out very quickly Uh, and it's an absolute Textbook, classic example of Oak Bacchus, which there aren 't many examples of out there other than like the kids 's and and one yeah. or two others, but it 's so well made and so exciting. Um, and then I think something like the Silex Blanc that Flint Vineyard make, uh, which is an ever-moving blend of different varieties, including Pinot Noir, um, it's had Bacchus in there before, Pinot Gris, yeah. Pinot Blanc from memory. The latest vintage, the 2022 vintage, feels a little bit more in that experimental style. There's more texture coming through. It's less less straight-laced and got lots of nuance to it. And I think we're starting to see oh, that... Uh, the 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 style that Flint want to make is coming through in the in the mainstream releases as well as those mm. members only wines. So really exciting to see how they're evolving and how they're gaining confidence as a, as a brand and as a winemaker to to come out with really interesting wines that get people talking. Um, no,
0: that's fantastic. Yeah, a really esoteric collection of wines. I can't yeah. recommend them highly enough. Absolutely. Um, fantastic okay that's rose so we know this is this is brilliant we are filling this hour no problem john no problem at all red wine <laughs> red wine um, where do we go where do we go we go to pinot noir of course
1: um yep. yeah uh it's basically uh, red wine's been a, a, a an interesting one in the early days actually going back to to balfour that it was the the one of the early vintages of the Pinot Noir was one of the very first English wines that, English red wines that I tried. Um, And at the time, I think it was very pale. It was almost like a dark rosé. And it's been interesting to see how that's evolved over the years. And as you've got more involved in the winery as well, to see the quality and the concentration that that wine's had. Uh, And that's very symbolic of how Pinot Noir has evolved in English wine overall, that we've gone from a very... Pale, very delicate style of of red wine to now expressive um, wines like the wines coming out of Essex, for example. Again, kind of going back to Danbury Ridge, their Pinot Noir is. I can I can hear myself back. Sorry, yeah uh,
0: Yeah, sorry, mate. My headphones stopped working for no for no apparent reason. I'm now just trying to work out how on earth I. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't...
1: I lost trade and thought anyway. Where, where I was going with that one, so we can we can get Lee to edit it out and do something.
0: Hopefully. Yeah, hang on. I'll I'll mark the clip for Lee to abs- do absolutely nothing with. Um, my my headphones are still saying that they're connecting. Um, let me try. Hang on. Sorry. If I say
1: this, Lee will know that it needs editing out. Rondo is what we should be drinking, and we should be. Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I think he'll leave that in out of spite. Um, um, oh yeah, actually, I shouldn't.
1: Can you erase that now, Fergus? Uh, in
0: case uh, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm afraid, all all editing is done by Mr. Isaac's. He is the only man who who fully understands this stuff. Um, so, yes. um, English red.
1: Um, <laughs> where should we go with English red? Um, Pinot Noir is, I think, where English red excels. Um, it's really evolved over the sort of eight or nine years that I've been following the industry uh, from the the, the Balfour. Pinot Noir was one of the very first I tried, um, oh, yeah. and that that's really evolved as a wine, sort of going from very pale, almost like a dark rosé, to quite a confident, strong um, Pinot Noir, sort of uh, Burgundy, uh, light Burgundy style, with some real nice texture and oak coming through. Yeah. Um, so that's really set the stage. But uh, then with Essex emerging again, the sort of the powerhouse of Danbury Ridge, uh, their mm. their first harvest i think was 2016 pinot noir which actually it was used to make blind bay's um 2016 pinot um that's kind of before danbury ridge really went out and made a name for itself and and that at the time when i tried it again it was one of those english wine eureka moments i've had quite a few of those um eureka moments but i tried it blind and thought wow that is sensational english uh, pinot noir uh, of a level that i hadn't had before and then sort of when it was revealed, I was like, okay, Essex, re- re- I really need to go and explore Essex a bit more in, in, in the following years I did. Uh, and now with what Dan reach has done with their optic and block Pino uh, and their mm. estate, Pinot, you know, really exciting, but we're, we're seeing more and more great Pinot, uh, particularly from Kent and from Essex, I think. And, um, so that's no. what, what I found really exciting.
0: Yeah, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to agree. I mean, I think Essex, Essex, is exciting. Uh, I think the big advantage of Essex is the is the dry the dryness. It means yeah. that it means that you can hang your fruit out a little bit longer once your vines are established. And it, this is a uh, a quiet nudge towards the the younger growers of, of Essex that you don't necessarily want to be giving your vines too much hang time if they're only two or three years old. Yeah, wait a little bit longer um but no i'm uh, on the whole i think it's really exciting and i don't i in no way sound want to sound like sour grapes because we planted two sites in essex i'm really excited about them both; they've got some great potential one of them's on the crouch and it's yeah i'm quite i'm i'm, I'm i'll be getting my first fruit off that next this harvest hopefully with a bit of luck and um yeah, it's good. It looks it should be good. I'll be really disappointed if it's not good. <laughs>
1: like, it, it, it's um, it is a super exciting region, but I think the I, I've always got to say this that the, the best the the early best Pinot Noirs I tried were all coming from Kent as well. So like the the Gusbourne, the, the Balfour. Um, actually, Chapel Down did some interesting English roads as well, which were more of a blended style. Um, ah, the Union you know, Red. The Union Red, absolutely. Um,
0: I didn't the, realize people liked that. Well, the last vintage
1: that they made, yeah. I think it was 2016 vintage, had a lot more Pinot Noir in it than it did it other did. varieties. Um, and it was really excellent, I thought, uh, compared to yeah, the it's... previous um, vintages of that. Um, but they they stopped making it after that and, and put all their focus yeah. on an already wide range of wines, to be honest.
0: Um but yeah, I mean, I their, their portfolio is big enough at the moment. I'd have thought. Um, I'd
1: imagine they have some some good enough Pinot Noir planted in in Kitskoti or the adjacent very nice vineyards that they've got, and we'll see Pinot come back into the range one day.
0: Um, have you got Have you got an inside man there? Is that Is that a, Is that a, a top tip, or is that? Is uh, that
1: just hopeful? Just hopeful. I mean, they they used to do some really good things with, with Blanc de Noir, yeah. and I guess we'll get on to sparkling wine uh, shortly um, after mm. I've talked a bit more about red wine. But um, there's it's one kind of gap in Chapel Down's range is there's not a lot of Pinot Noir-based uh, Noir wines um, no. uh, compared to what they'd made previously. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Blanc de Noir or a, or a red wine in the coming years. Mm.
0: It feels no, like I think
1: a gap I think in their, their portfolio.
0: Yeah, and I think it, it works with where they're trying to position themselves these days. Yeah. They've gotten very much they're very much gearing themselves towards that um you know, the higher price point, the more premium end of the market than than maybe they were. And you know, Pinot and Noir both fits in that category point yeah. nicely. Um Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say
1: Divico. I was gonna mention Divico. Um oh, it's yeah. the talked about but very hard to get your hands on uh, grape or wine in England but um, I've heard a lot of positivity about it and I I only tried one 100% Divico that was made in very small volumes and quite cost prohibitive Mm. Uh, but I did try uh, a very interesting wine um, just before the uh, end of the year uh, from Kent which was a Divico um, Pinot Noir blend I think 50-50 blend um, from um from it's called it's called oast house estate red reserve um it's a delicious red wine um yeah ab- seriously it's got this real richness and, and and luxurious kind of quality that i think the divico brings with that really pretty english pinot noir uh mm. quality um it was it's one of, probably the most impressive english red wine i tried last year it really stood out and, and put them oh, on, wow. on the map for me um, but I also think there's a lot of potential for, for Divico, potentially, just based on that one wine. I mean, it might just be the, they have kind of struck gold and done something really great with it, but uh, it does seem like a variety that comes up in conversation a fair bit, but you just can't get hold of the wines that have Divico in
0: yet. Well, I mean, judging by the yield estimates on, on Divico crops, I don't imagine it'll be long before you see quite a lot of it yeah. in the market. Um, yeah. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to see how it goes longer term. I'm, I'm, ISIS on the other side. I've, i it feels a bit emperor's new clothesy. Okay, me. I think it's um, or no, a better, a, more tail wagging the dog. Vineyard managers love divico. Crops heavy. You get good color, beautiful big red bunches. You spray it twice a year. Um, it gets really high sugars. A lot of people are on a scaled, on a scaled um, contract. So the higher the sugar, the more mu- the more money you get. Um, low input, easy to pick, easy to easy to easy to grow, easy to work with. Um, and then when it comes to the winery, you know you get high alcohols. The acids aren't bad. Color extractions ridiculous, but it does sit in that Rondo bracket of color. It's purple. Yeah, it's blue. It's blue red. It's it's not it's not red red. Um, Which is why you probably I'm, need to blend it with a bit of Pinot Noir. But
1: the one thing I would say is that it doesn't have that Rondo uh, overripe grapes driven yeah. into muddy ground with uh, bitter stems. <laughs> uh, it's
0: just I hate Rondo. I loathe Rondo. I, I I I don't. I, when I put Divico there, I don't necessarily mean that they are. Yeah. Of a, oh, I think I think Divico is a significantly nicer variety than Rondo um i'm Could not
1: the code be the red equivalent of bacchus like the Bacchus? The reliable you can make uh, a good medium bodied uh, english red every year potentially mm. um, and not have to have it at such a premium price point of pinot noir and have create a different style ultimately something that is an entry accessible level english red potentially if yeah, it's maybe that's... Hopping and, and repeatable
0: yeah, no, I think that maybe that's that's probably the future for us if if we're serious about red wine in this country and we're serious about doing it, you know, we can't do it all on the back of Pinot Noir, and we probably do need something to ease people in. That's not Rondo. That's not Rondo or Regent, mainly Rondo though. Please, no more. Yeah, no. I've had
1: some good. I've had some good Regents, and I, I've occasionally had a
0: decent Rondo. But have I, you? Once, <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about the man that tried to make one, Rondo white. That 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 was just the most bizarre conversation I've ever had with a winemaker in my life. I've it's, never heard of that one. That's new to me. Um, yeah, never never made it to the market. Weirdly, don't know funny, why. Um, that. Probably tastes like shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, maybe that's it. I mean, for me, for me, I think I think Pinot Noir. Is the way the truth and the light for, for English yeah. red um, Divico is interesting, but I've yet to see anything that I'm. I, I, I know the wine you've tried. You're talking about, and it was it was a good it was a good red, um, but I don't. I didn't get really excited, and I certainly didn't get as excited as when I tried um, the Danbury Ridge stuff, for example. You know, I tried talking about that 100 percent divico yeah. um it was fine it was nice it was like it was a good wine but it's i didn't walk away from it thinking christ i need to plant some divico somewhere
1: yeah um, okay well have you tried the the one that i mentioned the oast house
0: i haven't tried that and that sounds i i think i've actually spoken to the owner of the oast house before in my in my role as chair of WineGB southeast um i think i've spoken to him but i've never tried his wines so i should i will look out look them up and go and buy some um in february um, yeah
1: i definitely recommend it because i think it, it changed because it changed my perspective and, and made me think oh that's that's really good and that's really different i tried it with a group of of English wine-loving friends, and they everybody mm. thought it was the standout wine of the evening, and we didn't expect it to be, um, and that, that kind of caught my attention. When a wine doesn't just appeal to me, but other people as well, um, yeah, yeah, it, it put it on the map. And, and uh, before that, I was like, uh, well, yeah, I've heard about it, but I haven't tried Divico really, or hadn't tried mm. anything that excited me. But that one, that one really did. Uh, well, but I will look it out. Otherwise, it's all about Pinot Noir for me
0: couldn't agree more. Uh although I am planting a bit of gamet. Um Okay. Interesting. I think I think in the right site you might just get away with Gamay Um did well, they have done some interesting things with it, haven't they? So. they've done some yeah, they've they've done some great work. Um yeah. with their gamet noir, which they won't tell you if it's red or rose. Um which I think is actually genius. <laughs> um just leave it up to you. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah particularly that the eighteen iteration of that i still I remember that wine really quite vividly it was really really good um Vap. Oh, so yeah. we've done red we've actually we've nailed off still wine um so we now move into sparkling. How many subcategories of sparkling would you like to do
1: well we have we missed the sweet wine category on the stills, but um mm. we can skip that one because there's not many of them um.
0: Entice is very nice, as are who who else is out there
1: the Denbys.
0: denby tri
1: or tiger um is brilliant that that sound, that sounds amazing mm. it's, like, so, It it's it's all out super fast uh the last. Mm. Vintage. Uh, at th- I think about £35 a bottle for a half bottle. It's quite a punchy price point, but they didn't have any problem selling it. Uh, but it's absolutely delicious. But yeah, the entire yeah. stuff, really good stuff. Um, that's probably about as far as it goes. Uh, but there's some other interesting stuff, I'm sure, out there. Sparkling-wise, um, I could talk forever about sparkling wine. So it depends how long yeah.
0: we want to talk, Fergus. <laughs> We've got plans for tomorrow. Um, let's do let's 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 do let's start at entry level, entry. Um, and we'll include because this will this will piss someone off somewhere. Let's do entry level and sharmat, and let's lump them together. Um, okay. So we are talking fifteen to thirty. Thirty feels a bit high, toppy for entry level. I don't know.
1: These days, level used to be about twenty-five pounds, but most of what yeah. was level for for the bigger states has now got to thirty and above. I, I believe.
0: No, I think you're right. Yeah, all right. Let's let's I go.
1: Really let th- Now it goes down to like fifteen pounds in the supermarkets for only. Mm. Um, and then for for most established producers, it, it feels like quite a varied price point for entry level sparkling. Show i I I. I personally don't find it hugely exciting for, for no. what I look for in a wine. As I say, I think it's great that it it brings consumer ver- variety and an accessible price point. Um, I've been quite impressed with the fits. Uh, I think it's a really enjoyable um, style yep. that you don't need to think about too much, And but, but it's well-made and, and, and fruit-forward and enjoyable. Um, Flint do some interesting things with their Sean, Matt as well. Um,
0: That's a good point, actually. I'd forgotten firstly, about the Flint. The Flint Charmat. That's that is a good. That's a good. That's a good sparkling razor. we We're we're blowing a lot of smoke up up, up Mr. witchell's Absolutely tonight, are not we? Um, Sponsor, but yeah, uh, yeah
1: sponsored by Flint, but no, yeah. it's not. Um, anyway, um what was yeah, Charmat. So those are probably the two that that stand out as ones I I would recommend. If somebody asked me what English Charmat would you recommend, those would be the two. Um, mm-hmm. Entry level sparkling interesting very interesting I, I i'm not really sure where to go there's so many examples out there um it, i've always found from for a kind of affordable entry level from a really established producer what langham do with their non-vintage wines the culver and the corallian are probably two of the very best value english sparkling wines on the market and i don't know if they're still sub 30 they used to be they might have creeped up to a bit more than that but if somebody said to me what could i if i wanted to buy an english sparkling wine for about 30 pounds a bottle that really stood out and and is really distinctive and um exciting that
0: i would probably put that as one of the top choices they have just crept over the 30 pound mark but they still are i think i think you know that's i think that's the direction of travel everywhere yeah. at the moment you know inflation is right um but they are that that were that were those were the two wines that were sort of coming into my head when i was yeah. thinking entry level they they are great examples of Chardonnay and Pinot dominant wines. Absolutely, both- yeah. I think it's great to
1: have those playing off each other, and that low, mm. super low dosage. they sort of grower Champagne style in in their quality and and focus. Mm. Really exciting overall, Langham as throughout the range, but those wines particularly punch above the even slightly higher price point that they have now that they're still exceptional value but when they were sort of £27, £28 pounds a bottle absolute steal to be honest Definitely um, Kind of taking it to more widely available English wines the, I, I was quite impressed by the Louis Pomeri, Um that oh, yeah. you can get from the supermarkets for around about £20 pounds a bottle quite regularly now and Majestic mm. I think they do it for a similar price point but I think that brings about a really nice kind of Hampshire style precision.
0: It's got that real Hampshire right. acidity, and directness, and some really good fruit coming through. Yeah, nice. No, those are that's that's those are good ones actually. That's a good choice. I hadn't. I'd, I have to admit, I got slightly put off Louis Pomery initially. Um, I just thought that the the original release wasn't quite where I expected it to be.
1: Yeah, I would hundred percent agree with you there. I didn't enjoy the first release.
0: But uh, I think now they seem to have found their, found their stride, yeah. which is brilliant.
1: Um, yeah, definitely. It was, a, it was a slightly odd launch. It kind of got released by Ricardo through the back door with no fanfare. And then I tried the wine and went, okay, I kind of understand why they didn't really be- make a big test <laughs> about it. It was kind of testing the waters, I think that first release, but since they've kind of got more control and brought the expertise over and actually going to mm. the vineyards and seeing the approach that they're taking, there, I think it's what they're, they're a name to watch and they'll undoubtedly do some really exciting things. Uh, but the quality and the progress they've made in that, in that wine for the price point they're selling it at has been really good. I
0: think. No, I agree. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more second time around. Yeah. Um, so we've done we've done we've done entry level we've done chamet. uh let's do premium premium white then well actually no let's break it down let's do blanc de blanc blanc de noir sparkling rosé and then we'll do prestige okay blanc Take de blanc pick. blanc
1: de blanc is my favorite category I think of all because mm-hmm. it's just it's blanc de blanc it's chardonnay it's my favorite grape and. In grape. England, <laughs> it's the best grape, absolutely. Um, I It's so age-worthy as well. It's like, the, the, going back to Nightingham, when I tried Nightingham's Blanc de Blanc, it was, I think, the first English Blanc de Blanc that I had. It was, again, like such a step up from the classic cuvee in terms of the, the focus and that driving acidity and the roundness of the maturity of the Chardonnay that it really stood out. And that that same wine still excels today. I think it's probably my go-to wine in the night and barange and that yes. it's it's not that much more than the classic cuvee and the rose which are mv now but it just it is immediate gratification it's always got bottle age it's such a great wine uh without going to the prestige level tier price points which things start to get into multiples of, <laughs> of,
0: of yes. price at that stage you're in dangerous territory then aren't
1: you yeah um Dermot de Sugu has done amazing things with Blanc de Blanc um Wiston's uh, Blanc de Blanc um the Sugu um Cuvée Bars super driving purity with amazing potential for aging I mean some of these wines will age for decades they do age for decades as Sugu and Naitama have proven um it's such an exciting style. I, 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 every time I open a bottle of, of English Blanc de Blanc, I'm got, I just kind of fall in love with it and, and get caught up in that kind of orchard fruit purity. And then with a bit of age, you get the pastry and almond croissant and everything going on. It's such a great style of wine. And compared to how much a lot of Blanc de Blanc costs in Champagne, although we, our price points have been slowly creeping up, you can still get exceptional value from, from England for Blanc de Blanc.
0: Um, Langham again. Yeah, I have to
1: say the Langham the Blanc de Blanc is outstanding.
0: Yeah, no, the Langham's very good, although I was actually when you said whistling, it reminded I had a magnum of the Blanc de Blanc non vintage at at an event not that long ago and um it was that was really special actually. They yeah they they they'd nailed the dosage, they had it they had it in perfect balance and it was this really Delicious take on Blanc de Blanc.
1: Thoroughly enjoyed it. I think what Western have done with their NV wines, they they've really evolved and progressed with all three of them. To be honest, the Rosé, the Brut, mm. and that Blanc de Blanc. Because I think at a time, the dosage was a bit heavy-handed on the NV wines in the Western range, but it feels really balanced and and really uh, in a great place to introduce people to English sparkling wine. Those and that Magnum is incredibly uh, versatile and generous. Um, yeah, I think, think I'd also like to mention Hampshire as well for Blanc de Blanc. I think Exton Park have done amazing things with, with their Blanc de Blanc. It's a little bit more steely, a little bit more linear, um, and thus potentially needs a fair bit of ageing. But they, they, I think they did a the vintage Blanc de Blanc. I've still got some bottles of their 2011 vintage, actually, which is in an amazing place. Uh, 2013 was outstanding. 2014, sorry, they, they released last year um, Exton Park Blanc de Blanc i really really mm. enjoyed that it's got this real pure minerality and, and really laser sharp uh, focus um yeah uh, really interesting category i think we've got really rich Blanc de long, but we've also got those really linear tightly wound styles from people like dermot Sugru and and, and exton park yeah
0: great category yeah i mean it's 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 amazing that well we we talked about diversity in 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 the still wines and that's that was coming from varieties but this is this is diversity in styles in in one variety in in one theoretical one style of production you know ie sparkling white from chardonnay um but the the yeah the range that you can achieve um just goes to show how wonderfully versatile that great variety is and how delicious it is um so yeah couldn't couldn't agree more uh blanc de noir
1: Blanc de Noir, I also really, really enjoy. Um, the two, two that I th- thought of, like straight away, one balfour. <laughs> I, I don't know what. Yeah, it's quite nice it's actually, isn't it? Uh, really, uh, yeah, great addition to the range. Um, I think it's a really exciting wine. It's got that kind of orange peel quality coming through, and a bit of savory richness and. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 really exciting. Not just saying that because you're on the uh, on the. No, no, no. no, uh, circuit, no, no. Circuit. So, um, the other one, uh, Harren Hope. I think their their blanc de noir is another favourite of mine. Um, I'm just having a bit of a think. So at one time it was my, it, I kind of overtook blanc de blanc as my favourite category, and it kind of has faded a bit out of my focus. Um, probably in a somewhat similar way that Blanc de Noir stills have kind of disappeared a little bit into the background. Mm. Uh, Whiston again, actually, Whiston's 2014 Blanc de Noir, which I think they've done a late disgorged version of, um, is one of my, probably one of my top 10 English sparkling wines of all time,
0: actually. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty big, big, that's pretty good territory then. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, those, those, yeah, it's a good point actually. Haron Hope, yeah, Haron Hope, is, uh, 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 who I usually think of if it comes to Blanc de now. No. They've done a Pinot Ménier Blanc de Noir as used to be so well. many
1: actually. Uh, comes, I think, if... Yeah, sorry, I was just saying the, the um, Haron Hope just launched a Pinot Ménier Blanc de Noir um, last year as well, which was really exciting.
0: Uh, Buggers, they've uh, I've, I've, I've got one of those. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save that for another time. Um, yeah, no, they make they make great blanc de Noir. They they work with pinot noir like like no one. knows. yeah, I've always been impressed. One um,
1: more, one more before we close off on blanc de Noir on my side was mm-hmm. Um Oh, like, is this the
0: Cubit
1: Cubit Noir? Yeah, the Cubit Blanc de Noire. Um, I think it. for the last couple of vintages it's been absolutely outstanding they did they did Mm. a magnum of the 2015 and i think they're on the 2016 now really really exciting grown-up style of sparkling wine from denbys that will i think those that haven't tried it if you do try it it's quite a different level of sparkling for denbys uh compared to what they're more well known for which is that kind of very sort of fruit forward easily expressive sort of green fields and and um Sort of non-vintage sparkling wine, but the the cubit really takes it to another level. It's got that real savoury richness, dark fruit coming mm. through as well. Uh, I thought that was really exciting, and it continues to impress me as a, as a wine.
0: Nice. No, that's a good point. Actually, i i should have I should have thought of them um, because theirs is, theirs is it, it, it is the best <laughs> wine in their collection from from my perspective. I've always liked it. Um, sparkling rose.
1: Sparkling rosé, oh, that's, uh, these categories are so big, Fergus. I know, I know. Mate, mate, look, we've only got
0: an hour and something. <laughs> um,
1: okay, the one that, I, I'm going to kind of just pick a couple this time, because there's so many great English sparkling rosés. Um, Do it. Everflight really impressed me with the uh, nice. name, method, um, vintage rosé, I think really confident bold style of release the first vintage and then their follow-up is even better a little bit more tight a little bit lower dosage um really expressive though still and i love the branding i think they're a really exciting uh producer uh, and one Definitely. to watch so i've been really impressed particularly by their rosé um I, I really like what 100 hills are doing as well with their rosés so they've got a sanio method and then they've got the Preamble rose, I think it's called. It's, I always find the range a little bit confusing with 100 Hills because they have quite a lot of wines with similar names, but I think they made some really exciting styles of rose. Um, mm-hmm. Belfort Brute was one of the very first uh English sparkling roses I tried. Not sure if the winemaker knows what he's doing, but um,
0: yeah, yeah no. it's lucky it's all single estate really in single vineyard. I just put it in a press and then yeah. But yeah, but no, yeah, no, those...
1: great, great work with that. Uh, obviously, from from your dad, and then and then what you've continued It's just, um, dad. Oh,
0: um,
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to think what else. Oh, okay, I can't not mention the 1086 uh, from Nightember.
0: Yeah, it's uh, is good, isn't it?
1: It's 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 so good
0: with its uh, shiny, shiny label.
1: Yeah, the, the, it's it's they've gone all out on the branding, obviously, but. It's unparalleled in the texture and elements that you get and the flavours you've got coming through. Um, mm. Yeah, I, it's, it's what we opened for Christmas Day and, and it absolutely excelled. Um, I think it's a super exciting wine, a really bold, confident statement uh, f- from them and a bold, confident price point. Um, but uh, yeah, super exciting. And the follow-up vintage, the 2013 that they just launched, end of last year, mm. probably takes it to another level. Uh, and probably introduces a little bit more age worthiness. I think the 2010s matured quite quickly, uh, but 2010s quite old for an English rosé. Um, Definitely. So uh, the fact that they just released the 2013 at 10 years age, it's it's quite a statement piece. I think, um, but no, it, again it shows how diverse we can have really straight laced. Fruit-forward styles of, of English sparkling rose, but then we've got these really textural, kind of complex styles as well, like the the, the 1086 or the Everflight. I think um, satisfies that sort of style at a, at a lower price point.
0: Definitely, no Everflights, Actually, highly highly recommend to any any listener who who is wondering who to try next. Um, really smart setup, good wines been impressed by both I, I i think i actually prefer the brute um of the two but the sagne is 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 a very good rose um and they're doing yeah just interesting things in the vineyard interesting things in the wineries that's pretty good uh, i have
1: gotten one very significant ro uh, english sparking rose that's always been there for me as well which is the whiston uh the whiston oh, Vin- yeah. um uh, the story goes that the first vintage of the Whiston Sparkling Rosé made by Dermot was a uh, kind of an accidental thing. He never really set out to make a rosé, and then there was a lot of colour that came through from the, the pressing of the grapes, and then it eventually mm. stayed in the wine, and that became the very first vintage of Wiston Vintage 2010, if I'm remembering the story correctly. Um, but I think Wiston's, uh, Dermot's rosé wines that he's done for Whiston for Digby, and then the... the um, Sugru. Um mm. Well, there's, there's a signature star, which is that savoury complexity that I really enjoy as well. So, yeah, I think no. there's some really exciting stuff
0: in English sparkling rosé eh, overall. Definitely. And then prestige, because I, now this is a category that I uh, yeah. have nothing in. I have no, no, nothing. I've, I don't even come close to the prestige price point. Well, you, you've got the the, the 20, what was it that the, the, you, the, you launched? 2008 the, Archive Collection. 2008
1: Archive Collection. That's in Prestige price point, right? Yeah, it
0: was quite expensive. It is all gone, though. <laughs> there you go. It was not too cheap. Per- it was too cheap and not currently in the range until um, the next one.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, one of the roses I mentioned was Prestige. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think the Prestige category is really exciting. Although quite significantly cost prohibitive to the majority of us um but again it shows that the category is reaching for new heights uh, and ambitious Mm. uh, and wanting to make wines that people can can put on the table alongside prestige champagnes whether they stack up from a indulgence and richness level i think the jury's still out on that Uh, i think I, I did a few tastings fairly early on in Great British Wine on Prestige Cuvée, um, where I invited lovers of champagne uh, and, and regular drinkers of Prestige Cuvée champagne to try some English sparkling wines, and we put a couple of champagnes in, including the Comte uh, Blanc, de, Blanc de Blanc, which is a personal favourite oh, yes. of mine uh, from Um And generally, the verdict was that the well made, that the English. Prestige wines were well made but they didn't have that weight and richness that you get you you associate with a prestige champagne. Mm. Um I think the category's evolved a lot since then. Um and it's also got more and more ambitious at the price points where we've gone from uh, English prestige was 100 pounds it's now 200 and I think there's one that's come to market at about 300 recently. Oh uh, god
0: yeah I've just remembered who that yeah yeah, yeah. We'll which was an interesting there. move for for a Charmette producer. Um, mm, for a twenty, a twenty eighteen, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think, I, think that, yeah, I think Dad yeah. was, I think Dad was still there in twenty eighteen. I think, it, I think, it might, it might. I can't remember if he left in eighteen or seventeen, but yeah, I'm not really, sh- yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, we won't, we won't talk that. About that. <laughs> <laughs> um, prestige I think Night have done great things with 1086 I think Chapel Down's Curda Cuvée is one of the most exciting Blanc de Blancs out there um, definitely in purity and, and texture and I think it's got better and better every year and now it's probably at the level where it is competing with those prestige cuvées in the way that I think the Night is. is um, hmm. I've not tried Um
0: no I've not I've not actually tried a bottle I've seen it looks nice
1: yeah but I've not, not actually—it's I've not crossed paths with it. Um, I'm trying to think, what else is out there on the prestige level?
0: I think who else is out there? There must be someone else.
1: Yeah, Whistin are doing more sort of library disgorgements at that sort of a hundred pound price point, sort of older, mm. extra lease aged, and I think there's quite a few producers doing that. It raises a few eyebrows when when the same wines released sort of three or four years later at twice the price point it was,
0: um, which you know, yeah. I know you've done with
1: the two thousand and eight, but that was quite uh, a big. Uh, I was going to say uh, yeah, we, we launched.
0: Amazing. It was ten ten iterations yeah. back, so I sort of I was I was quite relaxed releasing that, but yeah, I do I do sometimes worry about yeah an RD that's that's actually. Not that much older than the last, yeah, last, last version of that wine
1: compared to what champagne would call, uh, like an LD or an RD, where it's got mm. decades typically, rather than the two or three more years in the bottle. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I think if it's generally been conceived as a prestige cuvee from day one, like the 1086, like the Curler Cuvée, if it's in recipe from the beginning, it it, mm. it it's a really exciting category uh it's just a shame that most people will never get a chance to try them um because the yeah. price. But that's the same with with prestige champagne it's getting more and more expensive as well
0: it is it's it, everything's just getting more and more expensive at the moment <laughs> um bad. well that i mean that was that was good we have covered off pretty much a, a, a vast swathe of english wine in in a little over an hour, so that's that's pretty much bang well, on, it. bang on brief. Yeah. Um, only a small amount of editing left for Mister Isaac's. Um, I'll mark the clip here. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, mate. And what I'd quite like from you before before we go is there are a couple of bits. Um, one, what's your big? What are you looking forward to most in English wine in the next twelve months? Ooh, that's a good question.
1: What am I looking forward to? Um, continued uh, diversity in terms of the styles of wines and exploration into into new styles and new expressions. Uh, really, that's what excites me about the industry. So, just continuing to explore that English wine continues to surprise me, and I hope it will continue to surprise me for the coming
0: year and and years in the future. Really, amazing. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds like a nice thing to be aiming for. Um, and then. Um, my other question is, will you come back and talk about wine for us more regularly, maybe, possibly, if you um, have time? I know you're a very busy man.
1: We, I think there's, there's probably one or two English wines I've not mentioned today. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure I've got some material left for, for future episodes. Um, Amazing. I can continue to mention Balfour or sort of every other conversation.
0: Yeah. So, checks in the post, so, mate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely, and I think there's a lot of different areas that that I could go down and probably talk about some of the things that I've got coming up for Great British Wine, like the spotlights that I mentioned, yeah. and as we kind of delve a bit deeper into those varietal styles, trying to get to grips with what is English Bacchus and what is English Rosé. Really, I'm really going to be focusing on the still wine actually. So, bringing something back to 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 this chat would be good,
0: I think. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm I'm entirely on board with this. We should also do some of this in situ, so maybe we'll I mean I could come up to Surrey, I suppose. But Kent's nice, we've got vineyards here. Um maybe Have you? Seen, Well, a few. Gusbourne <laughs> are pretty busy down there in Kent.
1: I've heard that they're doing one or two interesting wines down there. Actually, I I did. did, Sorry, I've kind of gone off tangent. I was going to say the whole reason I brought up this conversation about English still wine was because of a post on Twitter um, I read over the Christmas break where somebody said, I've never had a, a decent still English wine. It's kind of made me. Oh. That first kind of lit a fire within me to say I need to get out there and, and shout more and more about English still wine, which I think I've been doing. But um, yeah. yeah,
0: no, I, yeah, I, th- I, I think they're they're there to be found now. You know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, when we were starting out in in wine, it maybe maybe wasn't such a thing, but these days you can you can usually find a good English. Yeah, very good English still. If you look vaguely hard, <laughs> you um, don't
1: even need to really put yeah, any. It's, in. It's, it's
0: it's on the shelves in most good retailers now. Um. So yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, mate. You.
1: All right. Hopefully, um, hopefully it's been a worthwhile
0: conversation and not too self-indulgent. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, I think this is this is exactly what our listener wants. Um, we only have the one, it's my mother Okay, um, is she the one that's listened event. 60 times to, to the last episode? Absolutely, uh, we're very grateful she just, she's got lots of phones it's a bit like, you know those factories you see in, in um, on the news when they're like, oh these are the people who give you all the likes on Instagram yeah, she's that she's Maybe got, if you've got a few more phones
1: this this could go viral,
0: Fergus I, I keep telling her to buy more um, but but apparently RSI is starting to play out from 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 selecting the episode and pressing play um, and yeah so I'm, frankly I need need more family members um, irritatingly they all have jobs so does mum I don't know I don't know how she fits it in to be honest oh well um, somebody's got to listen so uh... absolutely but no thank you so much John uh, and yeah hopefully we'll we'll be hearing lots more from you in the future. Um,
1: I hope so. No, it's it's been good to just waffle away about the stuff that I like. So, uh,
0: yeah, you've not listened to the pod before. I mean, this is basically all we do. For, I um, did.
1: I, I have. I listened. I've listened to a couple of the episodes, and I thought in the build up to today, I will put it on and listen. Um, and enjoyed a good fifteen twenty minutes until my daughter needed something some attention. <laughs> um, so I got distracted and didn't get back to it. But I I I I do enjoy listening to the waffle and i enjoy (laughs) waffling myself so uh, it seems
0: a good fit no i think we'll all get on famously um we'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, hopefully lee isaac's back at back at the health and um yeah thanks very much mate what's the subject in the next couple of weeks time oh we don't plan these things far enough in advance to know that i only decided you know what we were talking about today this morning
1: did you have a list of other topics other than English wine that we could have talked about today?
0: Yeah, I did wonder what your view was on the latest McVitie's rebrand. I um, can't
1: really talk about that
0: one. Um got <laughs> <for> obvious reasons.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what, um, what is McVitie's rebrand anyway? <laughs> it's very nice. <laughs> um, no, I, um, what will we be talking about? I actually don't think we have settled on a topic for for the next episode Um, Lee is obviously doing his uh, will this go out well I'm going to plug it anyway Uh, Lee has his wine and comedy in inverted commas night at the sampler in Islington on the 16th which I think is the day before this pod will actually air Um, so if you missed it you've missed it Um, but if somehow you've got this in advance you should go
1: Absolutely. It's I've seen Lee live before and um actually the first time I met Lee was when he was doing a, a stand up routine at UK Wine Hour. Uh, oh really? Yeah. Uh, it was good. Different. He's, he He's funny. Yeah, I, I really enjoy i j I've seen I saw Lee do um a launch for um All Angels um a year, year and a half ago. And yeah. he did such a good job of connecting with the crowds or who were all there to to, to try the new wine but he made mm. it relevant and funny um so i've not tried to be funny today because i just can't compete with the isaacs um but um
0: I, I, very few people can i i don't bother i just i just let him talk yeah and then it's the, the best thing the, to do the, smile and laugh at the appropriate moment at the right moment when when he gives you the sign to laugh yeah there's actually a big light behind his head that says laughter you know <laughs> like, like in an american sitcom he just presses a button it lights up and i'm like ah. uh no that's that's very unfair um but thank you so much mate and thanks yeah. for coming on and thanks for being a good sport and yeah no we'll be speaking to you again soon i'm sure all right, all right let's let's touch
1: base soon fergus thanks for that really appreciate Jeez, it mate. A good host. thank you cheers cheers bye